right. Well, again, welcome to Hope Lower Town. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, uh, lead pastor here. Um, and uh, we are currently in week 17 of going through Ephesians. Ephesians is a small, smaller book that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, it's just six chapters. We're uh, coming up now on the end of chapter five. And so uh, just a couple weeks left in this series uh, in Ephesians, and then it'll be a wrap, and we'll move on into um, uh, a whole other sermon series, kind of walking through uh, key main verses in the Bible and just kind of walking through the storyline of the Bible. Uh, and so excited about doing that and excited about uh, finishing up Ephesians. Uh, it's been my first time preaching through uh, this book. And so um, I've really, really enjoyed it. So again, week 17. So if you're, you're coming in, it's your first time here and you're just checking out hope, checking out Christianity. Hopefully uh, this will make sense of as a, even a standalone sermon. You don't need to, oh man, what happened to the other 16 verses, you know, sermons? We don't. Um, so I'm going to give a little bit of a, a recap here because it, um, there's, there's a shift. So in chapter four, the apostle Paul, the, the entire one through three is just Jesus and God and how great he is and how awesome he is. And he loved you and he, he brought you from death to life. And so here's why we worship this amazing God who loves us because, uh, he, he gave himself for us. And so in return, we can love him back. And then in chapter four, though, there's kind of this, this shift, um, that we've been talking about this, this new life. Uh, that it's not just, hey, do this and don't do that, which is how a lot of people maybe read the Bible. Um, and, and there are for sure commands. Uh, there's a call to be holy, uh, to live a separate life and, and try to not sin as much, of course. But yet it's not these imperatives, as I'm going to, as I'll mention in just a minute, um, that, that these are completely necessary. You need to obey these to stay or to be a Christian. That's not what Christ has called us to do. He's saved us. He's brought us from death to life. And so now we, we walk a new life. We, we have a new way of, of thinking, a new output, a new uh, structure when it comes to our lives. And, and I think I've read this quote now for four or five weeks uh, from Douglas Moo. And uh, he just says this, talking about kind of this, how we would think about flesh and spirit, and then is flesh bad and spirit good? And, and so the, Douglas Moose says this is in his commentary, uh, flesh and spirit stand over and against each other, not as parts of a person, an anthropological dualism, right? Good or bad. And so I got to do more good than, than bad. It's not, what it's, it's not what's happening, nor even as impulses or powers within a person, but as the powers or dominating features of two realms of salvation history. To walk according to the flesh then is to have one's life determined and directed by the values of this world, the world in rebellion against God. It is a lifestyle that is purely human in its orientation, right? Not just good and bad, because I can do really good things for all the wrong reasons and still be bad. It's not about that. It's about a new way. So to walk according to the spirit, on the other hand, is to live under the control according to the values of the new age created and dominated by God's spirit and his eschatological gift, just uh, end times of, of how everything is going to come to a conclusion. And so again, just kind of looking at these back and forth, what, what's the difference? Old versus new, these imperatives, maybe we read these as like commands. I got to do this so that I live, so that God will love me more. Uh, I have to, you know, go, go do these things for the church and I got to volunteer for the church and I got to go to church and I got to whatever I got to give to the church. These are, these are things that make God love me more. Wrong. It's just not how God works. Uh, at least not the God that's revealed himself in the scriptures versus these indicatives of like, this is just something that's part of me now. 
This is who I am, all right? So I, I have to, I need to, versus I, I'm, I'm able to. Uh, and then I can do this. If I'm good enough, then God will love me, uh, versus, no, Christ is my motivation. Uh, my love for Christ, not out of obligation and duty. And so keeping that in mind, because all of that is still, is still going on. Uh, the Apostle Paul is, is still has this uh, way of thinking in mind. And so, again, looking just briefly at last week of knowing us after battle in the first part of, or the middle part of Ephesians 5, um, he, he uses this phrase, be, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And so we looked at this, what is wisdom? And I had mentioned my faulty definition of wisdom that I was taught of wisdom is the right application of knowledge. So I get wisdom, right? And that's kind of the, the G.I. Joe, right? Uh, knowing is half the battle. I mentioned that last, the PSA at the end of every random G.I. Joe show, war, death, destruction, children, don't play with electrical wires. Okay, cool. Thanks. Um, knowing's half the battle. And so I have the knowledge. So, so the other half of the battle then is, is doing it. I gain the knowledge and I apply it. And that's just not the case. And so I read, uh, this quote from Michael, uh, Fox, Michael V. Fox, um, not Michael J. Fox, um, says in his book on Proverbs, wisdom isn't simply knowing what's good to do, right? Knowing's half the battle. Wrong. Wisdom is a disposition of character a configuration of knowledge, fears, expectations, and desires that enables one to identify the right path and keep to it. Wisdom means not only knowing and then doing, no, knowing, but also then desiring to do what is right. It's, the, it's, a, it's exactly what the Apostle Paul said. There's a shift in, in the way that I live, in the way that I think. It's a desire, a configuration of the soul. It is a moral character and fostering moral, moral character. It is no overstatement to say it is at all times the greatest goal of education. It's also the greatest challenge for moral character comes down to the de- desiring the right things. And how can we teach desire? We can tell kids, do what's right. Don't do what's wrong. Uh, don't, when somebody offers you a free ice cream, don't, don't get in their van, right? You can teach them that all day long, but unless they desire that, uh, it's not, nothing's going to change. Um, and so that leads to then this week's sermon titled Christ's Relationship with the Church. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, looking at verse 21 through 33. I'll have all the uh, scripture on the screen this morning, um, and I'll be reading from the NIV. So feel free to follow along or just read it long as I have it up on the screens if you're able to. Um, this might be a little, little call and response. Do, do any of you have any favorite books or movies uh, with uh, just an insane plot twist? Uh, right, you can think of, uh, uh, what was it, the, the Revenge of the Sith? No, I don't forget which one it is, right? But when it's like, that's impossible, right? Like, the, wow, what would, you're his, Darth Vader's his dad, right? That's a plot twist. Or you kissed your sister. That's a plot twist, right? Um, that's Star Wars. That's a Star Wars reference, in case you didn't know. Uh, anybody have any? Any favorites? Anything? Shrek? Shrek? Sure. Shrek has a plot twist. Oh, that's right. Fiona stays an ogre. That's right. That's right. She doesn't become the pretty little princess. She she stays an ogre to, to be married to Shrek. Yep, plot twist. Great. One of the greatest plot twists of all time. Um, I often think, I remember in high school, uh, we had to read the book Count of Monte Cristo. And it was my junior year. And when that when we were supposed to read that book, it was the same year the movie came out, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. And I thought, oh, I don't need to read the book. <laughs> I'll just go watch the movie. Uh, and then I went to class and bombed my first test. Uh, 
Uh, plot twist, the movie's nothing like the book. Uh, and so then I actually actually had to read the book, and I was like, wow, now that's this is very different. Uh, Hollywood definitely, uh, which is weird for Hollywood, they definitely uh, softened things in the book. Uh, I often think, though, of this is one of my, I, I don't really have um, directors that I really, really like, but M. Night Shyamalan, Shyamalan, uh, that he... Uh, he's, he's con conducted, directed, uh, a lot of movies and it's kind of, he's always kind of fun because he always makes his own, uh, cameos in all of his movies. Uh, so if you ever go back and rewatch, he's always in his movies, just a small, minor little part. Um, and, uh, and he's not actually that good of an actor, <laughs> which is kind of funny because it's just, you can tell like, oh, you're, you're making the cameo. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, but he, he did all these movies, right? Sixth Sense, uh, Split, Glass, Unbreakable, The Village. Uh, signs. There's all these really intense um, plot twists that happen, and not all of them have these plot twists, uh, but a lot of them, a lot of them do. And and one of them, one of the greatest plot twists ever. He kind of started doing this with these movies that, and a lot of other people have tried to do it since then, um, but it just doesn't hold a candle uh, to the Sixth Sense uh, with Bruce Willis when he had hair, um, and and when he is. In this movie, the whole point of, the, of it is, right, and we've all seen it, um, if you haven't, too bad. Um, the, the plot twist is, I see dead people, right? And so the whole movie, you're like, wait, Bruce Willis was dead the entire movie, and he's counseling this child who sees dead people, right? And, and, you, and you watch it, and you immediately, your first gut reaction is, I got to go back and watch it again <laughs> to see if that actually works, because there's no way. I know he was talking with other people. No, it actually checks out. Um, and it's, and it's wild. And so I actually want to do that today in Ephesians five, where we're going to start with, I see dead people. All right. We're going to start with the end and then go back. So we're going to save the time of walking through it. And then, ah, look at this is always about this profound mystery of talking about Christ and the church. We're going to start there, go back. And then we're going to look at, do these verses actually fit? Do we actually see dead people? Do we actually see that the Apostle Paul is using these analogies to talk about Christ and the church? So that is what we're going to do. Now, um, and then I'm going to, and that's what we're going to do. I'm going to have three kind of major sections where we're going to sit, pause and say, what are these verses or what is this verse saying about Christ in the church? Now, if you have been around the Bible, if you haven't, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna talk to you as your pastor, as your friend, um, just for a minute. That some of these verses are extremely controversial. All right, so if you're here like checking out hope, and you're like, wow, this is what they preach on every week. No, but it's in the Bible, and so I don't shy away from it. That's why I love what we talk about expository preaching. That we're gonna walk through the book of Ephesians. If I all of a sudden skip three verses in Ephesians chapter five you should go, hmm, why did he skip these verses? Um, that, that should be a red light. That should be a red flag. Um, and so let me say what this sermon is not. This sermon is not a, a message about marriage, right? There's a time and a place for that. That's not what this text is about. This text, as I mentioned, is about Christ and the church. This is not a, a message on singleness. And although there are going to be uh, elements of that, it's not what that's about. This is not a message on what we call, and when we do our church government, called complementarianism. Uh, that's not what this passage is about. 
I don't shy away from that. As a matter of fact, uh, on April 7th of 2019, uh, preaching from 1 Peter 3, another controversial passage, um, was about marriage in the same way do marriage. Uh, and then on July 28, 2019, we did, a, we did a summer series called, Hey, I have a question. You guys submitted questions. And that was sermon was, what is complementarianism and how does hope practice it? And so no way am I trying to skirt this issue or not try to talk about it or not at all. Uh, I've already preached on these things. Uh, it's just not the point of this text. Okay. So if you're, if you're, you're ready, you're like, man, what's, what's, what's all this about? Um, it's not about those things. This passage is about Christ and the church. Now, I can learn from it, for sure, on things like marriage and how we do things, but that's not the main point of this. And so that being said, we do have resources. I'm going to be quoting uh, one of our uh, women on staff, and, and she wrote an article just very recently in the past month um, specifically on this uh, topic. And so if you go to your app and you hit resources, uh, you'll find articles and different things on there. Our elder team uh, we have written a paper specifically on uh, our views on complementarianism, and so that's all available. Um, and so, wanted to say that now. Uh, and let me let me just say this: uh, shoot me an email, right? I, I want to have conversations, and some of you have done that um, on this topic or on other topics. It's good to have conversations. I welcome that. I I want you to question. I don't want you just to mm, num num num. That's great, Brian. What do you want us to do? No, that's bad. That's not good. Um, cause it's not about what I say. And, and so it's good to have pushback and that kind of thing. And so, um, you can email me, you can email, uh, the kind of the three, the, the, the more of the full-time staff, uh, natty at hopecc.com. You can email Olivia at hopecc.com, Kaylin, hopecc.com, uh, that these are women who are on staff, uh, who also hold these viewpoints that have wrestled with these viewpoints. So that's all. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, and then, and then let me move. Well, let me just say this. <laughs> Sorry. One more thing. This seems, uh, incredibly self-serving. And so let me just acknowledge that, uh, because I'm about to read verses that say wives submit and church submit. And I am a man and a pastor, <laughs> right? And I, I get that. <laughs> I do. I fully understand that <laughs> as, as a man who's a pastor is about to tell wives to submit and is about to tell his church to submit to, to him, okay? But I think what we're going to see is that not that's not necessarily the, the full picture. This is about Christ and the church. So, and yet these are verses that have been abused, that there are people in this room that I know have been incredibly hurt uh, by the church and how they interpret some of these passages. Um, and so I, 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 I want you to know that I have approached this uh, with caution, with not fear, because uh, it's God's word, not with, but, but with humility. Um, and um, I wrote a lot more down in my notes. I don't normally do that. I just want to be careful with what I say um, and respectful at the same time. And let me just say this as well, that I have friends in this room that disagree with me in my position on this. And guess what? They're still my friends. <laughs> it's okay to have differing viewpoints, all right? Um, and, and still love each other and still uh, respect each other. So, uh, all right, that's that. Let's jump into Ephesians. You're like, oh man, what is, this is going to be good. What is about to happen? Um, no, it's about Christ and the church. Okay, so here we go. Ephesians chapter 5, 21 through 33. The Apostle Paul then says this. Now remember, not, not in, in, in imperatives, not you got to do this or you're out. Right? This is a new way of life. Submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This word is used a lot and it's translated different ways. It's a Greek word that is translated as submit or be subject to or subjected to, um, be, to be put under, to be beneath, whatever it may be. That's, that's this word. And it's translated all over the place in the New Testament as this uh, way and, and, and most often as submit. But I just want to read through, I don't have an image for this or a slide or anything, but I want to just read through all the different ways this word is used to describe relationships in the Bible or situations in the Bible where one party submits to another. Because it's all over the place, right? It just just so happens that it's in our passage today in multiple places. This is one of them. Um, But that we all submit to one another uh, out of reverence for Christ. Um, So where where is this used in other places? We see that uh, Jesus, when he's a child, submits to Joseph and Mary. Demons submit to the disciples. Uh, a hostile, this is just the New, New Testament, by the way. Hostile minds uh, submit to God's law. Creation's frustrations submit to God. Israel submits to God's righteousness. Everyone submits to government and their authorities. Um, the prophets submit to the Spirit the prophets that's in them, God, uh, the Son, that is Jesus, himself submits to God the Father, God the Son, and everything else submit to God the Father. Um, Everything submits to God the Son, that is Jesus. There are passages where the author um, is writing to somebody and says, you submit to me, and then likewise, I will submit to you, and then uh, we or us will submit to them, and then they or them will submit to us. Uh, wives submit to husbands, servants submit to masters, world to come is to submit to angels, and the younger is to submit to older. So this is not a, like, a, like a, a random usage of this word. It's used all over the place in the New Testament. But again, most often we view this word as just a, a negative thing. Um, that, that this is like, oh, I'm beneath you, uh, as in you are superior to me. And that's just not the case. Um, that this is a mutual thing, that we are all, all of us are to submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. So again, what does this verse say about Christ and the church? If that's what this is, right? How do we see dead people? Well, we could easily, I could stand up here and again, be, a, be abusive in language, um, and be, uh, be uh, just power hungry or whatever you want to say it and say, hey, church, you're the church. You, you submit to me. You submit to the leadership. It's not what it says. And yet there is an aspect of that, but it's also me or the elders submitting to you. This is a mutual submission that happens that we, we do this, that I am not the head of the church. We are part of, a, of multi-locations and we've got a, a church in Columbia Heights and a church in uh, downtown Minneapolis and, and we have a senior pastor, Steve Treichler, we don't submit to Steve. Uh, Steve is not the head of Hope Community Church. It's Christ. It's always Christ. And so again, going back to this idea that the Apostle Paul is following through, that I have now, um, that we do this out of reverence, or that's translated fear, right? So, so we submit to one another out of reverence or fear for Christ. But again, not of like, oh, what's going to happen? This is now a, a new way of walking. It's a new desire that I now have. So we can ask the questions, why should I listen? Why do we listen to one another? Why do we serve one another? 
Unfortunately, usually, this is again, maybe somebody who's in a position of power and authority saying, you need to help serve, you need to volunteer, you got to do this. Or somebody who maybe isn't in a position of authority wanting to gain authority. It could be fear of man. Um, there was a lot of that this last, last couple years of somebody would say something, uh, I don't like this, like, okay, well, well, I don't want to have any confrontation. So yeah, we'll just do that. But then somebody else over here gets upset. Well, Hey, I, I don't like that you did that. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's just go do that. And there's this kind of wishy-washiness, um, that is not helpful. That is not, that's not what it means to submit to one. I just, I'm just going to do everything that you do. I submit because of Christ. And what is it that Christ as the head of the church says, we might even submit or perform or do something out of uh, as an obligation or out of duty. That's just not the case. It's a new way. The Apostle Paul here is saying, you have been resurrected so you can love and you can submit to one another. Let's look at the next three verses here and hopefully shed a little bit of light on this. In Ephesians chapter 5, looking at verse 22, says this. Let me read it and then I'll go uh, make some comments here. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So what's going on here? What is the Apostle Paul getting at? First off, he says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, okay? Uh, this is important, and I think especially in the culture that this would have been written to, that, and, and even now, this is still applicable, that certain men think, uh, you're a woman, you're beneath me, therefore you do what I tell you to do. That's not what Paul, the Apostle Paul's like, nah, that's not how this works. Wives, you submit to your own husbands. That's, that's, the only, that's the only person that you need to worry about is your own husband. Not your pastor, not your neighbor, not your boss. Well, maybe your boss, you know what I'm saying. Don't, don't get yourself fired. Um, all right, but you, you get what I'm saying here. This is your own husbands. And again, what, what, what is the language that's happening here? The Apostle Paul, not here he's referencing it. He's going to be more explicit in a couple of verses talking about husbands. But here he's going back and he's referencing the Garden of Eden. He's going back to Genesis chapter 3. And this idea of submission that when, when Adam and Eve were, were created, and, if, and I've done a lot of your weddings, a lot of couples in here, I've done your weddings and your premaritals. And so you've heard this before. But, but in the garden, things were perfect, in perfect, absolute harmony. Harmony between God himself and his creation, God and mankind and womankind of, of, of this is who we are, that we are okay, but then they're okay, and then the actual nature itself, just beautiful harmony. And Adam and Eve were, it says they were naked and unashamed, not just physically naked, but I mean, think about emotionally intellectually vulnerable and naked. Then there's a fleeting thought that comes across their head and they, they say it. And they don't have to be ashamed. They, they just get to be free. Can you imagine that? That's what it was like. And then sin enters the world. Adam and Eve both eat of the fruit. Sin enters the world, but fall happens. And there's this curse now that's put on all of humanity. But when Eve specifically is being cursed, or the curse that's on woman, says this, that, that now because of the curse, your husband is going to want to rule over you in a, in a very oppressive way. And wives, you're going to want to, you, you are going to desire him. And it's not like, oh, I desire my husband in, in a romantic way. It's a, it's a very negative way of desire. And so constantly all of life because of the fall becomes 
I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm more logical, you're emotional, submit. And then the woman goes, uh, you think I'm emotional, let me talk about your emotions, and it's constantly you, me, you, me. And then Jesus shows up and he says, no, 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 no. Let me tell you how you can live. Let me tell you how you can submit to one another. Let me tell you how wives, how you can submit to your own husbands. Husbands, how you can love your wives, which we're going to get to. That this is a play on, on that, going back to the, the garden and the fall. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the hus- husband is the head of the wife. This isn't... Um, a source of, of life, kind of that. Like, as we would think, oh, my head, if my head gets lopped off, my body dies, right? Uh, that, and that's, that's a really gruesome image uh, for, for right now. Um, and, and, and yet that's not what's happening here. This is, a, this is leadership. That's, that's all that's being expressed here. But Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. That prepositional phrase of which he is the savior is not about husbands. Husbands make terrible saviors, awful saviors. And so uh, the single ladies in the church, all the single single women in the church, that if you're thinking, oh, that's what I need. I need a man who just loves God and is perfect. And then all my needs will be met. That's, you're going to, it's going to crash and burn real fast. My wife can tell you all about it. Doesn't work that way. I'm a terrible savior. I need my wife to love Christ more than she loves me. And she does. And it works. Husbands make terrible saviors. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything or something that's more all-consuming or a lifestyle, not necessarily in everything, because we know on other passages that if the husband is abusive or is commanding or any, that's not the case. It's not what's, that's not what the apostle Paul is saying here in any way, shape or form. So what are these verses saying about Christ in the church? Right? Cause again, that that's the point. That's the point of the text. What are these verses saying about Christ in the church? And this is where I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote Kaylin Larson. She uh, did LDI. I think all three years she's now on full-time staff. Um, and uh, I forget her title. I thought I wrote it down, but director of a bunch of things. <laughs> she does a lot of stuff. Um, but she recently wrote this article uh, that's in our resource page. You can, you can find it. I'm just going to a couple little excerpts from this. But, but Kaylin took our systematic theology course uh, several years ago. And this was a, this was a, a wrestle uh, that when we walk through these doctrines, uh, it's not like, oh, yeah, cool. That's easy. Some, some people, it's like that. Uh, but, but, but usually it's, no, I want to, I want to fight. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to talk about this. I want to engage in this. Uh, and, and she had to do that, but this is where I know that she is at now. And, uh, anyway, she, she says this, men and women are made in the image of God and therefore given equal value and worth. In addition to equality, they have been given different roles by God within marriage in the church in order to tell the two gender story of the gospel. Pause. What does that mean? You have heard of two genders and you likely have heard of the gospel, but what is the two gender story of the gospel? Let's go on. This story is told well within the home when husbands reflect the leadership of Jesus and their self-giving sacrificial love towards their wives. And my wife is thankfully not in here this morning because she'd be like, wait, what? What's happening? 
And though well aware of their husband's flaws, wives tell the story of the good news of Jesus when they, when they celebrate and encourage their husbands similar to how the church responds to the love of Christ. And that is where I, would, I wish my wife was here because I, I would easily would have said, my wife does this. My wife points out my weaknesses. My wife points out my flaws in a loving way, in a, in a, in a way that, that makes me see my sin and my faults and say, oh yeah, I don't, I don't want to keep doing that. I want to repent of that. And maybe it's not sin. Maybe it's just a character thing. Right? Maybe it's okay. You're not dirty, but you're kind of messy. Maybe put your clothes off the end of the bed and put it two feet away into the hamper. Right? That's pretty simple. She does that graciously to me. She's always, she always has, but my response has not always been gospel centered, has not always been about Christ. Uh, moving on here. This complementarity is also seen in the church through the relationship between elders and the congregation. Elders are a small team of godly and trained men approved by the church members who are called to reflect the leadership of Jesus in shepherding, leading, teaching, directing, and sacrificing for the church. As with Christ, this group is to lay down their lives in whatever ways necessary to care for, protect, nourish, and bless the congregation. The congregation plays a complementary role to the elders. This is all of us. This group, the church made up of men and women is called, gifted, and empowered to lead and exercise their talents alongside the elders and ultimately in honor of Christ. Again, if this passage is about Christ and the church, then I too am the church and submit. That's what happens. And we do this together. We're, we're in the trenches together, going into the kingdom of darkness and trashing the joint together. Because Jesus wins. He's the hero of the story. I just want to highlight a very obvious passage where we see Jesus submitting in this kind of way to the Father. Philippians chapter 2 says this, In your relationship with one another, you have the same mindset as Christ. Okay, so, so again, in your relationships, one another, here they are, Apostle Paul again is saying, one another submit out of reverence for Christ, who, Jesus, being the very nature God, is fully God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, when he walked this earth as God, as the creator, easily could have just said, no, I, let me demonstrate how many, and he does do that, but not for his own advantage. He doesn't become rich and powerful and some emperor of the Roman. He could have done that. He doesn't do it for his own advantage. Rather, and this is, again, okay, how did Christ love the church? He makes himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on the cross. So let's move on to the next chunk here in Ephesians chapter 5. Again, continuing this idea of Christ and the church. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25. says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. And again, in the story here, in this passage, we are all, myself included, are the bride, are, are the church. And it says here that Jesus 
loves us so much that he gives himself up. He humbles himself. He submits himself to the will of the Father. Why? Because he loves us so that we will feel loved, so we can be empowered, so we can be enabled. And what I learn when I read these kinds of passages immensely, even more, it just magnifies the love of Christ for me because I commit uh, adultery in my heart on the daily. That there's, there's, there's uh, idolatry and greed and selfishness and pride. And I look Jesus in the face and I go, yeah, you're kind of cool, but this feels a lot better. I like this thing. And then Jesus sacrificially says, I know you want that, but it's not going to satisfy you. And I still love you. And I'm still going to pursue you. And I'm still going to call you to holiness because I have enabled you. I've brought you out of that. Don't submit to that stuff again. Come back now and be free in me. The problem is, <laughs> when I read this, as a husband, again, this isn't a passage on marriage, and yet there are some key takeaways that we can apply to marriage, that as a husband, that's how I'm called to love my wife. <laughs> it's impossible! <laughs> Sorry, another Star Wars reference. This is incredibly hard. To, to, to love my wife, to love others, in the way that Christ loves me? Again, this is not an, an abusive, power-hungry kind of, you do this because that's what I want you to do. How does he do that? How does he get the church to love him? He submits, he respects, he dies to self, he sets his preference aside for his bride. Christ submits to the will of the Father and sets his preferences aside. Let me go ahead and read this passage in Matthew chapter 26, where we're going we're to see specifically when Jesus does this. This is the night Jesus is going to be betrayed. This is the night that Jesus is going to get kissed by Judas on the cheek to say, kill that man. He's done nothing wrong. Verse 36, then Jesus, what, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. That's kind of the, the context here. He knows the end is near. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed. This is the creator of the universe my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. This cup is just representative of the wrath of God that is about to be poured out for the sins of the world on Jesus. Jesus knows that this is about to happen. Matter of fact, the sons of Zebedee there, James and John, they come to Jesus and they say, hey, can we sit at your right hand, your left hand and your kingdom, right? They think it's going to be some physical Kingdom. Like, you're going you're to restore Israel to power. You're going to kick out the Romans. Yeah, we want to be your, your duke and your jester or whatever. I don't, I don't know what they you Sit on your right hand and your left. We want to be in power and authority with you. And Jesus says to them, you have no idea about the cup I'm about to drink. And then, and then they go, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah, we want to do it. And he's like, you, you don't understand. And so now here he is, Jesus praying, God, I don't want this cup. I don't want to drink this wrath. 
And what does he do? He sets his preference aside of not suffering, not dying, not having the wrath of God poured out on him for the sins of peons of humans. And he says, but not my will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more. And he prayed for the third time saying the same thing. He prays three times. Is there any other way? Yet not my will, your will be done. If this is for the church, if this is for my bride, if this is so all of humanity can be saved from their sins, if that's the only way, your will be done. And they returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of the sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So now with that in mind, husbands, love your wives that way. Just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. How does Christ present the church blameless and purified by setting himself aside, by humbling himself? for us in the same way. So again, not a message on, on marriage, but Paul is making the analogy here. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but fed and cared for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. And for this reason, going back now again to Genesis, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united Uh, to his wife, and the two shall become flesh. There is the self-sacrificing love of Christ that when we see that in Christ, we run to it and we want that. There is this deferred preference of Christ that we see in him and again makes us see it and say, wow, there's no obligation, there's no duty to love somebody who loves me in that way. Husbands, what if? What if we loved our wives that way? What if we loved our wives in a way that demonstrated how much we love them because we clearly care and put ourselves aside to love them, to see them flourish? Wives, what if you were loved this way? Now, we, we can talk about what is complementarianism, what does it mean wives submit, and the husbands things, wives, the whole point of this, again, Christ and the church. But what if you were loved that way by your husband? But again, it's not necessarily about marriage. So then church, emphatically, you need to be reminded, you are loved that way. I'm a terrible savior. You're a terrible savior. We are terrible people because we're sinners, but we're saved by grace. And we are loved that way, which makes us see Jesus and go, yeah, I want, I want more of that. What's interesting, um, again, when I do premarital, I mention this a lot. 
this idea of setting our preferences aside for one another. And again, we can put this in the church. Uh, well, because know this as your pastor, um, I know that like Hope Community Church Lower Town is not perfect. You guys know that, right? Okay. Uh, I, I know that. And, and it's not because you people, you guys are terrible, right? No, 99% of it is because of my inadequacies. And I, and I truly mean that. That's not, I'm not trying to have some false humility. I'm a sinner and I'm trying to lead sinners. That's why I, I need Jesus. Um, but it's interesting when we talk about this self-sacrificial love and submitting our preferences aside to one another, um, I, I bring this up in, in our counseling a lot because usually, usually when I set my preference aside for my wife, it doesn't mean get crucified on a cross, right? That's yet to happen. I, I've never had to set my preference aside enough to be crucified for. Usually it's, what do we want to watch on Netflix tonight? Well, whatever you want. Right, that's, that's usually like the depth of my self-sacrificing. Uh, there's more than that, obviously. And, and it's vice versa. <laughs> right? Last night, baby's up crying. Angela knows I'm working today, so she's up. Right? It, it goes back and forth. And you know what that does? It makes me love and appreciate my wife. And when I set my preference aside and I get up with the baby in the middle of the night, it, it makes her love and respect me more. And, it, and around and around and around we go. So what are these verses saying about Christ in the church? Again, church, you are loved this way daily by Christ. Whether you're married, unmarried, you are loved so sacrificially by your Savior. And what's interesting is it almost sounds selfish, right? If you go back and you, and you read the passage, Jesus sets his preference aside so that his bride, that's us, the church, will be cleansed, washed, become holy without stain or wrinkle, and then be presented back. So he sets his preference aside in a loving way so that his bride comes back even more loving and more beautiful. And so, and I've been, I've been in counseling situations, marriage counseling, not premarital, premarital, everyone's all happy and lovey-dovey. Marriage counseling is a different story, right? And in marriage counseling, right, when you, when you talk to a husband, like, you need to set your preferences aside. It's like, that sounds terrible. What about me? And it's like, let's read Ephesians 5. Let's see that when you do this, your wife will want to love you. <laughs> but this allows us, again, because this is about Christ and the church, to love him more. And the more we get to know the love of Christ, the easier it is for us to submit to his will and what he wants for us as church. And that's the kind of savior that I'll follow. The kind of savior who's going to manipulate and, and be power hungry and just do this because it's the right thing to do. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to follow you. I, um, I may have shared this. I don't know if I've ever shared this in the pulpit, but I know I've shared this with some of you that um, years ago, uh, this is back when I was before the church here was planted uh, so over five years ago, six or seven years ago, I was downtown at our, our, our downtown campus, and um, Steve Trico, the senior pastor, um, he was just the lead pastor. It was just one church. He was the head pastor. And uh, we would have communion, and, and, and I was in the back um, a lot of times as an intern, and I was in the back, and I you know, had my little lanyard, and was, how can I pray for you? And, and nobody ever, ever came up to get prayed. Uh, for me, by me at least. They're, everyone else, I don't know, there's something about me. I don't know, people just don't want to <laughs> want to talk to me. Uh, and just make them stand back there like hiding my lanyard. I don't want to pray for you. I don't know. 
But Trike, Steve Trikler, he would come back there every week when we had communion. And he'd come to me, and I'd put my hand on his shoulder, and I would say, um, whew, I would say, what can I pray for you about? And he would say, uh, humility. Humility. At the time, I wanted to play in a church. I wanted to be big. I wanted to be my own thing, you know. And I had a guy who's a mega church pastor in, the, in downtown Minneapolis saying, I need to be humble. I need to be like Jesus. And at that moment, I was able to say, yeah, you're the kind of pastor I want to follow. You're the kind of pastor that I'm willing to submit to because you have that kind of attitude to love me and to love your church, which is why I did a location. I wouldn't have done this with any other human being on the planet. I mean that. I had a lot of offers. I turned them all down. It's not true. That's Jesus. That he comes to us and he says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. I'm gentle and lowly. I love you so much that I died for you. Last couple verses here. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ in the church. That's what it's about. The Apostle Paul kind of throws this in there. However, since we're on the, on the analogy of marriage, let me just get one more in here. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I, I do this all the time when I do premarital, that uh, we have this exercise um, where it's called active listening and assertiveness. I want you to, I want you to, to be assertive. I want you to write down and, and have a wish list of three things that you would want more or less of in a relationship. Okay, that's what I want you to do. And you're going to listen. Okay, so I wish, right? The guy's like, I, I wish that we made out more. Okay, okay, that's great. How would that make you feel? Right, and so it's always, I want to talk about your feelings. And so then the feelings are, I just, I just, I'd I feel like you're, you're like, you're, you're, I don't know, we're just connected. We're closer together. There's always love and respect all over the place when we do that. And there's just something, I know that we're, we're in a, in a very good way, in a, in a culture that doesn't, doesn't like uh, generalities like the Apostle Paul does here. But I think we can flip this on its head and say so there's something innate about a man that wants to be respected. There's something about when I go out and I strike out a baseball <laughs> that my coach says, hey man, good job. I, I, I need that. There's something about, even though when I'm an intern and I'm not even a, 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 a like a net zero, non-contributing member to my family, I'm, I'm paying to be an intern. I'm a negative influence on my family's income that my wife can say, I love you and I respect what you're doing. You know how easy it is to love my wife when she acts that way? Holy smokes. That when I go to a party, and I see my wife walk off with all the other moms and women, and, and I hear one go, oh, you're never the dumbest thing that my husband did the other day. I know my wife would never talk about me that way in public. Now, she'll talk to me about that for sure. But not in public. And vice versa. And so when I love my wife in a self-sacrificing way, it just goes around and around. Now, again, this is, this is just true. So you're single. It's got nothing to do with husband and wife. 
There's just something we, to love and to be loved and to be respected and to, and to respect. Let me then apply it this way. How can we, the church, submit to Christ? Are there ways all of us self-examine? Are there ways that I'm not submitting to Christ? Are there things I'm just like, ah, I like most of what you revealed in Scripture. I don't like all of it, though, and I can't do that. And then how can we, the church, fall more in love with our Savior? One of the easiest ways to fall more in love with the Savior is get to know him better. Spend time in his word. Excuse me, spend time praying, rejoicing, singing in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs as we looked at last week. And another way that we can do that is by having communion together. This is another amazing way that we get to now, on both sides, take a piece of bread that represents Christ's body that was broken for us, the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us, and we get to viscerally, I mean, like, feel it, literally, and taste it, and swallow it, to remember the self-sacrificing love of Christ for you, so that we can now love him freely. We get to do that, and this is now the new covenant, which is my blood. Take now, church, and now you can drink of it. How do we drink of the cup? Jesus, I can drink of the cup. No, you can't. Oh, but now because of my sacrifice, now you can. Now you can drink the cup of God's wrath because you aren't paying for it. I did. It's finished. So now we get to partake of this together. This new covenant that is Christ's body and his blood. And so all I'd ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. This could be your first time in this building. This could be your first time at a church. If you say, yeah, that kind of Savior, yeah, I'll follow that Savior. Yeah, I'll do that. That sounds awesome. I would love for you to partake of these elements today. We're going to have a couple songs. The worship team's going to come back up. They're going to play two songs. And, and so as you feel uh, led or, or whenever you want, feel free to stand up, grab, come grab the communion cups, go sit back down, uh, take those elements as in the timing that you uh, see fit. Um, feel free to stand and sing, whatever it may be. Um, but we will close with communion as we get to remember this self-sacrificing, preference-aside-setting love of our Savior for us and for his church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that even uh, in a text that unfortunately has been abused uh, by men in my position for thousands of years, uh, that I pray that this would be encouraging uh, in the sense of that this is your word and your word is truth and that we can see now that this is what the love is. This is what Christ is to me of my Savior who loved me. And those who are husbands in this room, would we pursue that? Even though we're fallible and we are sinners and we're not a Savior, that you would help us to pursue that kind of love for our Savior and for our wives. Those of us who are wives, to be able to, to, be, able to be loved and to be able to follow a man like that. And those of us who maybe don't have a relationship like that, that you would restore that, that both of us would be able to see Christ. Those in this room who are not, or are not uh, um, uh, married, but are single, uh, God, that you would uh, let them see you for who you are, that you are the one that fulfills, that you are the one who sent your son to die for them, that they are the bride of Christ, that they are the church. 
and that they too are loved that way. So I pray now as we partake of these elements that you'd be honored, you'd be glorified as we reflect on the finished work of Christ and the cross for our sins. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.